We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field. I'm joined by my co-host, Stephanie Weirach. We're delighted today to bring you an authority and an expert in the world of fitness and personal wellness, Jill Coleman. I actually went to school with Jill back in our Wake Forest days, but uh, it's what happened after we left Wake that really excited us about Jill's journey. She launched her personal brand, JillFit.com, in 2010 and was a co-founder of Metabolic Effect, Inc. Jill has undergone a plethora of education in exercise science and nutrition, fitness competitions, landed several national covers for fitness modeling, and has been featured in Self Magazine, Family Circle, Shape, Women's Health Magazine, Prevention Magazine, and many online news outlets like Yahoo Health, Livestrong.com, and AOL's That's Fit. Her passion lies in coaching in the areas of mindset, body, and business, which she does via her flagship program, the Best of You Coaching Club Mentorship, as well as a few signature online programs like the Mindset Makeover, the Food Obsession Boot Camp, and 52-week exercise program, the total training experience as well. Jill, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm just so happy to reconnect with you. It's been so fun following your journey. Would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your academic and educational journey and how it led you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. I'm super pumped to be here. I love um, getting to talk about this stuff. So thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah, I went to Wake Forest and ended up getting a degree in exercise science. And then from there, most of my peers ended up going to medical school or physician assistant school or, or PT. And I was like one of the weirdos who just ended up staying in fitness and just loved fitness and always wanted to kind of create um, a career in helping people with their health, fitness, nutrition. I ended up going back to school and getting my master's in nutrition and from there, I just became like a biochemistry nerd. I was interested in research. I was doing a lot of um, like extreme dieting. And throughout my 20s, I did a lot of like experimenting with different diets, uh, working with a lot of clients in the gym, working crazy hours, just getting a lot of client contacts. And it wasn't until um, about 10 years later that I ended up starting my business online and kind of taking the things I was doing with my clients in the gym and across the desk as a health coach. And I was putting those things online to reach more people. So it's been an amazing journey and it's been a, it's been a great time. You know, your journey through wellness and nutrition and exercise is obviously something that us as physical therapists are really interested in, but let's start with, um, uh, let's start with the why as Simon Sinek does in his book. Why do you think our society has such issues with, with these aspects of health and why have you chosen to educate people on these? Yeah, so this is uh, it's such a great question because it's one of those things, it's not a lack of information, right? It's really not. Like, I mean, we can Google, you know, weight loss or 
all that stuff and we'll get a million free meal plans or workout programs right now. So it's, there's always a question of like, we have the information. Why can't we just do the stuff? And so, yes, I think, you know, we can go one track where we kind of like maybe blame the big companies and they're making their the food more palatable and it's more easily accessible and it's cheaper and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's definitely worth talking about, but I do think that it comes down to um, an approach of habit change versus a diet culture. And so that's only from my personal experience. That's the way that I kind of look at the lens that I look through is when someone comes to me, a client comes to me, typically they've done like 10, 15, 20 different diets over the last decade or even 20 years. And they don't really know how to think for themselves anymore when it comes to eating or exercise, because they're just been trained. They've trained themselves to follow plans, follow programs, follow coaches, read diet books. And they've really lost their ability to think for themselves when it comes to eating and exercise. So it's been said that like healthy eating is kind of just normal eating. Most of us didn't really have issues with food until we went on our first diet. And then all of a sudden things felt restricted. And so we had this kind of like boomerang effect where now we don't really even know how to grocery shop. I remember the first time I went on a really strict diet, going to the going to the grocery store after it was all over, not like even knowing how to shop there. And so I think um, it comes down to potentially getting back to taking full responsibility for our health. And that's always such a big, broad, like kind of hard thing to talk about um, because it is, uh, it's like, where does someone start with that? Right. Just like take responsibility. Okay, Jill, I'm ready. But I think it comes down to a couple of things. Number one is just the resiliency and the willing to the willingness to like look inward and learn. So as an educator and myself, I, I really think about how do I teach people how to do this on their own. If I'm their coach, they shouldn't need me forever. They should be able to work with me, learn the skill set, and then leave and never have to really, quote, go on a diet ever again. And so it comes down to learning, relearning even, your body's cues, like natural cues, like hunger, um, energy management, cravings, satiety, fullness, like all these kind of things that most of us don't really even check in with our body. We're just going, what foods can I eat? And what ones shouldn't I eat? And then we're trying to just be perfect in that kind of black or white space. And I think a lot of times that comes back and, um, and is really doing a, a huge disservice. So for me, the education is really in teaching people how to understand their own body's cues, what foods work for them, what don't, what exercise works for them, what works for their schedule. A lot of times we don't even think like, do I even like this food I'm supposed to be eating? And so it becomes just being maybe an independent thinker. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my brands. I think that's a really great point because as physical therapists, you know, we try to get behavioral changes to happen all the time, specifically with home exercise programs. And I think that what I have found to be really effective has been, you know, like you said, trying to initiate some of those behavioral changes and make it a part of a schedule. I think that that's really important. If you can make it, if you can make somebody do something at a certain time, the same time, every single day, it just becomes habit. And you, you don't even have to think about it anymore. You, once you relearn that, you know, that food that you have to eat or that exercise you have to have to go through, you don't even have to think about it anymore. Totally. You know, it's where I leave. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with a friend, how they were saying people want these magic pills. But the funny thing about that is people don't even take the pills. Right. Like, so you give them and they can't even take their meds half the time. So, cause that just goes to show it really does come down to what you said, schedule and being able to make the new activity just as easy, if not easier than the old way. And that takes a lot of practice. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Jill, we've gone over your why for wanting to help educate the public on all things, fitness, and nutrition, but now let's dive into a little bit of the how. 
Uh, you've been on magazine covers and been on the big stage of fitness competitions, but you're really flourishing on social media and through several, several online education platforms. How did you come to choose these avenues to educate people on all things fitness? And uh, what are your top tips on using social media for educating the masses? Yeah. Oh, I love this question. So, um, it was really simple for me. It was right at the beginning of when we non-college people could get on Facebook. And at that point I was totally maxed out working in the gym. So I was working about 78 hours in the gym. I was actually working full time at Wake Forest university, running all their fitness programs. And then I was personal training clients before work and after work. So I was starting my day at 5am. I was getting home till about eight or nine o'clock. Um, and so I was like this, there has to be another way of doing this. I can't keep doing this. I was exhausted. And so I was like, let me see if I can leverage the internet to at least start to reach people outside of my small town. And I did that through blogging at first. This is back in kind of the golden age of blogging where I didn't really have a lot of time, but I had workout programs I could share and I had recipes that I could share, very simple stuff. And so I just started blogging and I blogged every day for two years. And I was like, I don't really know what's going to happen with this, but people seem to be reading it, enjoying it. And I'm being consistent. People are showing up. So I just made a consistent um, commitment to doing that. And the consistency really paid off in the form of trust building. And then at the end of, you know, maybe a few months in, I started offering meal plans. And so at that point, again, the, the internet space wasn't as noisy as it is now. So it was a little bit easier to cut through uh, all the noise and gain some traction pretty quickly. And then social media just be like exploded. That was before Instagram. That was before things like Pinterest. Twitter was just getting on board. So I started really using Twitter effectively to uh, just be in a conversation with people. I mean, I was, I didn't really quite get it at first. And then once I started getting it, I really started enjoying it. I was tweeting like 30 to 50 times a day, just like little tidbits. And it actually helped me become a really good communicator because I had to be really concise. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but if, for me, I was always really long winded. And so I'm like, okay, how can I be a better communicator? How can I say this so that it really hits somebody and they can really like understand what I'm trying to say in a small way. And so from there, when Instagram came on board, love the visual aspect. Now live streaming is huge. I love using that. Just all different types of platforms. I was lucky enough to be able to quit all of my in-person work within 18 months of starting the business, which was great. Um, but it really came down to like needing to figure out a way to leverage my time better. And actually I read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I'm sure you guys maybe heard of that book. And I started just implementing small stuff. Um, like asking my boss if I could, um, you know, get like maybe take a pay cut to have a couple afternoons off and things like that. And so over time I was able to create and build trust on the internet. And then my content became like a lot better once I had more time. Let's think one thing that I've heard from a lot of, uh, people who make some money off of blogging is that consistency is the key, especially with not only just blogging, but just with social media in general. Did you uh, get any social media training or um, publicity training from a, co a coach? You know what? I didn't. Um, at that point, really, no one knew what, what to do, to be honest with you. Like, no one really knew exactly how to leverage it. I mean, I, I'm sure there were people who did in the, in the larger internet marketing space, but that wasn't my space. My space was fitness and nutrition. And in that space, everyone was still very much like Photoshopped, retouched. Um, you know, only showing your kind of perfect highlight reel on the internet. And one of the things that I did really early in Jill Fit was I started pulling back the curtain and really talking about like the real side of that industry. And I started being like really vulnerable about my own journey of weight regain and re rebounding and things like that. And people started, and it was really scary at first because I'm like supposed to be a professional, right? And so I felt like I was just going to be undermining my credibility. And what happened was a lot of people felt a lot of relief from the message. So Honestly, for me, it was kind of like the wild, wild west. We were just throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall, trying to figure out what was going to gain traction. 
in my experience, the things that have gotten the best response are always the most real. So if you can pull back the curtain, if you can be vulnerable at your journey, people just want to connect, right? That's what social media is all about. So if you can share your story of transformation before I was struggling, now I live this way and I'm doing things a little bit better. Here's what happened in the middle. Here's the switch that I made. People are going to see themselves in all of those different, some people are currently in that before picture. Some people are currently in that after picture. Some people are ready for that change and they're going to see themselves in your story. So if you can share that, I mean, I have a personal brand, which means like my face and my voice is out in front. Not everyone has that kind of business, but for me as a personal brand, they need to know me. Otherwise they're not going to be wanting to invest or even, you know, uh, interact with me. So it's really important to share your personality too. That's interesting. You say that, you know, one of the reasons why Oprah Winfrey became so famous and why her talk show was so big back in the eighties was because she did something nobody else did on TV and that was be real. And she, you know, she talked a lot about her weight struggles and a lot about real things that real women go through. So I think it's really interesting that you say that. It's great. It's been, it's been super fun and just really interesting to learn what works. Of course, we have best practices now in teaching that stuff, but before it was just kind of like, let's just see what the, and it's so low risk to try. It's a free platform. It's like, what's the worst that can happen? It's the internet. You can delete it if you don't like it, right? Like there's, you can just try stuff and see what works and what doesn't. And sometimes you're really surprised. Yeah, Jill, I think you bring up a great point that we're seeing a lot nowadays in, in, in all medical fields, not just in physical therapy, but vulnerable, vulnerability is huge. And I think being able for patients to connect and clients to connect with their provider is becoming so like wanted and craved for. And I don't understand how we got away from that to begin with. I mean, you know, patient and client centric models are really what it should have all been about in the first place. So, you know, I think just telling your story and being vulnerable and being human uh, really helps you connect on all levels, whether it be patient care or marketing or, you know, any, anything like that. It just, just being real and human. It, it is social media nowadays. It's, it's a social platform and we're trying to be as social as we can. Yeah. We always say that people buy coaches, not coaching, right? So you can have the most amazing meal plan or workout program or, you know, whatever your service is. But if someone doesn't feel connected to you as the provider, they're not going to buy in. Right. So I think maybe as a professional, sometimes we're worried that it will come off as we're not as competent. So you need to have both, right? You need to have that realness, that, um, that relatability, but you also have to have the competency. So I think as long as you have both of those things, it's actually called uh, the pratfall effect. So you guys might've heard that. It's like, you need to have both of those things and it's kind of the ultimate trust formula. Right. I totally agree with that. You know, as a, somebody who's in fitness, I'm sure that one of the things you deal with as we do as physical therapists is adherence to what you prescribe, which we had uh, Kelly start on the show a while back. And, you know, the big thing with Kelly was the word adherence versus compliance, which I'm totally in agreement with because adherence is a much more positive word. What kind of, per, what percentage of your clients are adhering to your programs and what are some ways that you maximize their adherence to things that you're working on them with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different schools of thought on this, especially in the like personal trainer, especially online personal training. Cause I'm not, you know, it's not like they're coming to see me at the gym and we have, I know that I see them three times a week. So if they don't do anything else, I know they have like we don't have that kind of control when I'm teaching someone or I'm, I'm training someone over the internet. So a lot of it does come down to there's two schools of thought. One is, you know, I'm just going to give my plan and it's up to them to implement. I'm kind of the opposite of that. I'm like, if they can't do it, it's my fault. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times you want to just think it's like, oh, they're just not, they're not committed enough or they just don't want it enough. And like, honestly, I have a lot of personal trainers who tell me I only want to work with committed people. And I was like, if that's 
you know, like that's easy, right? We, I want to work with people who are not committed, who are having trouble, who are, have those barriers and obstacles and really can't implement. And so for me, a lot of my work isn't in do this workout or do this thing. It's really like, what can you do now? Let's look at your schedule. Let's audit your time. Let's see where you're spending your time. Let's again, find something that's just as easy, if not easier to implement than the thing that you're already doing. And also implementing things. Um, you guys, are, I'm sure you guys do this too in your practices doing one thing at a time. I think one of the biggest mistakes we do as professionals is we want people to get a lot of value. So we're like, do these 20 things, see how smart I am. And it really comes down to like, that's kind of the opposite of what actually works. And so we want them to feel like it's a lot of value, but in turn, we end up overwhelming them. So my thing has always been implement one thing that looks very similar to the thing you're already doing. And then once you consistently do that, then we'll do the next thing. So, I mean, there's, there's been coaches who say, if you get a meal plan from some, from someone and you don't, and it looks kind of similar to what you're already doing, you're getting your, your people are stealing your money, which I think is the complete wrong way to look at it. Um, it's the opposite of that. It's like, tell me what you would normally eat and let's switch out one thing and let's see how you do with that. Let's troubleshoot it so you can implement it easily, effortlessly with zero thought. And then let's attack the next thing. Yeah. I mean, the easier that we can make things for people, the more likely they're going to adhere to it. You know, I know one of the things that you do is you do some online courses. Um, what types of things do you do to uh, promote adherence for that? Because, you know, online, you talk a lot about relationship building and how that's really important in your in what you do. Mm -hmm. You kind of lose a little bit of that relational aspect. So what mm -hmm. types of things do you do to maximize adherence in that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. So a lot of things that I do have a community aspect to it, which I think is key. So one of my... The, one of the key tenants, at least at Jill Fit, is we want people, I want them to connect with each other. So for example, if I'm launching a fitness program and maybe there's not really a coaching component to it, maybe it's like, hey, here's this workout. It's a nine-week training program. Everyone who enrolls in it is going to go into a closed Facebook group. And that's not so that like it can be a Q&A with me. It's so that they can connect with each other and keep each other accountable. I've had a lot of girls or women actually just, you know, have accountability partners. We do a lot of like short challenges. So I'll do like a seven day challenge or a 14 day challenge within that program, accountability, consistency. I'll give them, um, you know, charts to keep their accountability. It's super simple, lowest hanging fruit type of thing so that they start to gain momentum and see themselves as someone who is competent and start to build their competence. So they end up feeling a little bit more connected. So for me, it comes down to community building. That's how I, it's not really about me. It's about the community. Everyone's doing it together. How can we support one another? I encourage conversations amongst each other. It can't just be with me. And so I have some tactical tools that I use for that. And then the second piece is, um, you know, what's something that we can implement and that you can start to get some wins by, right? So if I give you a nine week program and I just say, good luck, see you, you know, they might do it for a week or two and then they kind of fall off. But if you have these kind of like mini challenges throughout that nine weeks, it gives them these like really small wins, these things that, okay, I did that for, I did two weeks or okay, I did three weeks or I did seven days or I did five days in a row. And they're starting to see that they, and identify with even someone who is compliant right? So they come in, they're maybe not compliant. And over time they get these little wins and it gives them that confidence they need to keep going. Yeah. Jill, I, you know, what would you recommend for somebody who is just starting off and looking to get into the very competitive world of fitness and nutrition? 
oh gosh, don't, I mean, I mean, no, it's cool. You know, I have a lot of people come to me and say, I've heard your horror stories about um, getting on stage and weight regain. Like, I mean, I was rebounding like 10, 20, 30 pounds after a show, you know, it's just, I mean, not even, is it not healthy physiologically? It's definitely not healthy psychologically. So, um, you know, people come to me and say, I've heard your stories, and I, but I really still want to do a show. And it's a, it's a goal that I really have had. I always tell them, definitely do it. Have the full experience. You need to, like, that's part of how we learn and how we grow, but just keep in mind these things that I didn't know at the time. And so I think I remember feeling really, especially the first time I kind of like rebounded in this very, cause you get really lean, 10% body fat, like extremely lean. And so, you know, we're just not designed to stay at that body fat. So, but you get it in your head that you should look like that. And so then if you don't look like that, you don't feel good enough. You feel like something's wrong with you. You feel like you're weak. You have no willpower, all these kind of things. And so I remember being really frustrated. The first time this happened to me was in 2005. And at the time, fitness competitions, now it's way more mainstream. We have body, you know, we have a bodybuilding, we have figure, we have fitness, we have bikini. We have all these different types of shows to do that have an aesthetic kind of goal. Uh, for me, I remember looking around and going like, no one's talking about this. Am I the only one? Like I felt really alone in that weight rebound. And since I started talking about it more, people are like, yes, that's exactly me. That happened to me. You know, I had full blown, you know, metabolic damage or adrenal fatigue or whatever that is. But I think it is important to have that conversation. So I don't think that you shouldn't do it necessarily, but I do think there's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to keep in mind mindset wise and physiologically so that you can come off that kind of extreme fitness. I mean, we're talking about CrossFit too. I mean, same thing, right? It's extreme fitness. We do ultra marathon running, extreme fitness. Again, totally fine, but keep in mind some of the things that you need to know when it comes to maybe uh, self-identifying with that or, um, you know, feelings of like body confidence or self-esteem even that are, that can surround some of these more physique oriented goals. It's, it can be a little bit tough. Did you utilize any other types of healthcare professionals like uh, other fitness gurus, physical therapists, physicians, nurses, psychologists to kind of help you get through that when you experience that? I didn't. Nope, I did not. And, you know, I don't even know that I would have known who to turn to because I didn't know what kind of problem it was. I didn't know if like something was like physically wrong with me. Like I didn't know um, if I was, I mean, I was also married to a physician at the time. So I like talked to him quite a bit, but um, you know, I don't know that I would have even felt comfortable going to see a counselor or see someone and say, you know, I don't feel good enough. Like I didn't know that that was the problem. In fact, for many years, I just thought the problem was I was weak. And I was, didn't have any willpower. I thought that I just, you know, I just, I couldn't, I hack it. And so I spent a lot of time feeling guilty and, and feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment. So I didn't reach out for help because I just felt like the solution was just to get back into crazy shape. And so I, for years, just kind of my affirmation of my body was the thing that I was chasing until I started my business, to be honest. And I was like, okay, it's, it can't just be about is, you know, do I have a six pack? It has to be about like other people and helping them. And most of the women I work with now and, and my goal is just to have my clothes fit. Like that's honestly, I just want my clothes to fit. I don't have to buy any wardrobe. Like, and so when we come, when it comes down to it, you have to figure out what is, and if you are attaching your maybe self-esteem to a physique goal or an extreme fitness goal, just ask yourself why, if you want to have the experience, that's cool. But if you feel like, like I did, like you needed to keep doing it, then there's something to probably investigate there. So, you know, you talk a little bit about how you kind of went through this journey of having that affirmation of, you know, not having your perfect body that you had had before when you were doing fitness, uh, 
fitness modeling. Um, do you work with many other healthcare professionals and collaborate with them when you have clients come in with other types of maybe psychological or physical conditions that maybe you don't know if you can handle yourself or what's your experience with collaborating with other healthcare professionals? Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I have collaborated with some counselors for sure. Some, uh, from some psychologists who just like just are in psychiatrists who just can't, I, I can't deal with it. If someone has extreme eating disorder. Um, a lot of, uh, I have a lot of friends that are physicians that can run lab tests. I don't do that. So if someone does feel like there's something going on hormonally or they feel like there's something going on, um, they're going to need to have like maybe their test run, maybe thyroid, maybe, you know, cortisol, stuff like that. Um, so I usually tell, I have a set of resources that I use for that, but for the most part, I'm not really doing any kind of like one-on-one -on -one super, um, customized physique training. Now I do more business coaching now. So, but back then for sure. So Jill, speaking of business coaching, um, how much would you say mindfulness and the mental aspect is involved with the fitness, nutrition, and coaching? I feel like, you know, we're seeing a huge uptick lately in meditation, mindfulness, mindset training, and I'm wondering how involved you feel like that movement is in your specific discipline currently. Yeah, I feel like it's honestly everything. I feel like it is extremely important because, I mean, think about it. If you're trying to do anything that's different, if you're trying to eat a different way, you're trying to get an extreme fitness, like kind of more extreme fitness journey, you start to start a business or you're trying to intuitive eating is getting as a word that's getting thrown out quite a bit now, it all requires mindfulness. It all requires a level of introspection or personal development that honestly, like most of us did that. That's not, it wasn't natural for me to like go and read up on this stuff or learn. It felt very like, um, not, not tangible enough. I'm going to meditate and that's going to help me with my self-esteem. I didn't really under, I didn't really get that. And so the things that I'm helping people with now are things that are out of their comfort zone. So you're starting to eat a certain way. Maybe you dieted, uh, yo-yo dieted for like 15 years and now you're trying to eat intuitively. Like there's going to be some struggle there. There's going to be some trigger moments. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to navigate and you're going to have to start to be more mindful and you're going to have to go like, okay, what is it about me that this is happening or this keeps happening or what's the mindset shift that I need to make to even just maybe give myself, show myself some compassion when I'm doing this. And, and the same thing for building your business. Um, I always say that building a business is the best personal development you work you can do because I guarantee you, if you have a sensitivity, it is going to trigger it. And so, you know, because especially on the internet, right? So it's a different type of medium. It's not like I'm buying a thousand t-shirts and I'm trying to sell those locally. It's like, I'm putting my thoughts, feelings, stories, successes, struggles all on the internet for the chopping block for people to comment on, to weigh in on, to have an opinion on. And so you're just going to get, you know, if you want to make a big impact, I mean, look at someone like Oprah. So you mentioned Oprah. Um, I wrote an email to my list last week about like, what would Oprah do? Cause she's such an inspiration to me, even from like a business perspective and just how much she's done in the world for other people. And I got so many people unsubscribed from my email because they just don't like Oprah. And I'm like, how can you not like Oprah, right? But it's still, it shows you that there's a space for everyone and there's always going to be a line in the sand. Some people are going to like this stuff. Some people are going to like that stuff. And that's totally cool. But you, the first time that happens, you do take it personally. And so a lot of it goes to like, okay, how can I release this? How can I show myself compassion? How can I show myself some grace as I'm learning this stuff? Because you're learning a new skill. You're not going to be good at it. And so we have to get used to resiliency and persistence and tenacity in the face of, um, you know, maybe just some, some tough stuff. So yeah, it's, I mean, to me, mindfulness, introspection, self-help, you know, I wasn't comfortable with that stuff. I remember being in Barnes and Noble the first time in the self-help section and being like, is anyone 
do I know anyone? Is anyone looking at me? You know? And so I think it's, but now I'm so happy that it's going a little more mainstream. You mentioned Barnes and Noble. Uh, <laughs> what was the last book that you bought there? And do you have any book recommendations for us? I mean, you've, you've done all of this stuff. You started a business, you have a big social media following. Uh, tell me a little bit about what books you would recommend to our listeners. Yeah, so there's um, quite a few uh, that I really love. And it just depends on kind of what niche you're talking about or what kind of interests you. I love um, mindless eating for, or, uh, and also just if you're interested in nutrition stuff, I would start there. If you're interested in more personal development stuff, I love the four agreements. A good friend of mine actually, so the last book I read is actually called A Tribe Called Bliss. And it just came out today, actually. It's a good friend of mine, Lori Harder, just put it out. It's all about tribe and who you spend time with and how changing your social circles can really help you elevate in whatever area you're trying to grow in. Um, I do a lot of personal development stuff, a lot of business coaching type stuff. I love um, Jim Rome. I love um, Daniel Pink. Um, I love Byron Katie for like very kind of high level, um, maybe mindset work. Uh, the Four Agreements are great. Brene Brown's work is groundbreaking. Um, such a great job at kind of helping us dissipate some our shame and embarrassment and really step into our power and, and courage. Um, so that's it. You know, we ask all of our guests this question. Uh question at the end of our podcast if you could change one aspect of higher learning health or ed ed exercise science or master's level nutrition or any other health field um, in higher education what aspect would you change and how would you go about doing it that's such a good question you know it's so it's hard because I think my answer is um help people be more independent thinkers which is a little bit counter and it's like counter to maybe the traditional model of school. I mean, I believe in school. I think it has a lot of really amazing things like, you know, getting my, I don't really believe that a degree is just a receipt. I really do think that there's a lot of value in it. Um, but I would probably, um, like for people, educators, teachers, professors to be a little bit more, um, giving people the option of asking questions. And I, I just remember not really, it was all about, for me anyway, it was all about memorization. And I would really appreciate if I had someone who was encouraging me to ask questions and to really validate how I was feeling. I didn't really have that skill set, you know, in my, when I was in school, I didn't really have the skill set to ask. I was just like, it was in the textbook. It was just, you know, it was facts and a lot of them are facts, but at the same time, it's like, how do you, uh, immerse yourself in this or how does this, how do you make this relevant for your own life? And I, so I think that relevancy, and the independent thinking aspect that I, I feel like is maybe a little bit missing could be huge for people because there's so much power in just like understanding your own body and, and someone much of us don't really even spend the time doing that because we don't know how to do that. In fact, not only that, but we've been taught not to do that through dieting and diet culture. So yeah, I'd say that's probably it. I think that's a great point, Jill, yeah. because one of the things that we've noticed, I think in PT education, as well as in medical school education, and what, from what we've heard our, from our guests, is that critical thinking component, thinking through a problem, having a question, and having the ability to solve that problem as it comes up. So I really love your answer. That's Yeah, I, I can't believe that we have grad students and med students getting to the point in their careers that they are not being able to critically think. And that just leads to, you know, more time being able to, you know, having or having to learn how to critically think, which then allows them to clinically think. And that's the next 
space. So, you know, I, I definitely think we need more of that. And it has to happen earlier. I mean, I, I say even as, as early as grade school, like we, we have to start grooming critical thinkers way younger. Um, yeah, well, I think it's always so funny, right? That like when you were in maybe grade school and you asked why, what was the answer that you were given? Because that's why, right? Like they, there was just... Because I said so, because I'm older than you and because I know better. And it's like, yeah, maybe you do. But I, I agree. I think I wish that I had someone um, challenging me in that way earlier. I got, I only got into that like late in my 20s. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jill, thank you so much for your time. It was so great to hear from you again. And I can't wait to continue to follow your journey. Could you tell our audience a little bit about where they can find you online and on social media if they want to reach out for follow-up questions or to check out your programs? Yeah, that'd be amazing. So if someone is maybe a healthcare professional and interested in online business and learning kind of how to use social media, I think it's a huge untapped resource. And I know I understand and I, I empathize with practitioners because you guys are so busy and a lot of times, you know, you're you're taking on people's energy all day long. And so at the end of the day, when you get home, probably the last thing you want to do is post on social media. Um, but there are super simple ways to just get started in that realm. And so that if you do decide to ever kind of maybe do a hybrid thing where you're half the time in the office and half the time on the internet and reaching people really all over the world. There's something there that you've created some trust and you've some built some stuff and there's some very simple things you can do. So honestly, best way to get me is probably Instagram DM. Uh, send me a direct message on Instagram at JillFit or JillFit.com if you're interested in any of the content that I've shared. Everything is pretty much on that website. <laughs> there's like 700 blogs on that site. So you could search anything and it will come up. Awesome, Jill. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. This is fun. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.